welcome to Arbitral Insights, a podcast series brought to you by our international arbitration practice lawyers here at Reed Smith. I'm Peter Rosher, Global Head of Reed Smith's international arbitration practice. I hope you enjoy the industry commentary, insights and anecdotes we share with you in the course of this series, wherever in the world you are. If you have any questions about any of the topics discussed, please do contact our speakers. And with that, let's get started. Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Arbitral Insights uh, with Reed Smith. I'm Andrew Tetley, partner in the Paris office in the International Arbitration Practice Group. And I have the pleasure today of speaking to Roger Schellers, a partner well-known to the arbitration community in Van Dorn. And we're going to be uh, touching on subjects of Dutch law and arbitration. But first of all, thank you for coming, Roger. So I think if we kick off, I think the, the way we're going to start, I think, is to ask you, Roger, to, to tell us a little bit about your background so that our, our listeners can uh, understand a little bit more about you before we go into the other areas of discourse that we're going to address. So over to you. Many thanks, Andrew. Cheers. I'm, I'm very delighted to be here today. Of course, I've uh, taken note of all your excellent uh, podcasts of the past, driving uh, up to my offices nowadays in Amsterdam. So I've listened to uh, my friends, Pakom Ziegler and uh, Robin Oldenstam, uh, who did excellent contributions, I think. And uh, let's see whether we can trump that. But indeed, I, I'm really looking forward to this. And uh, also really enjoyed our time together on the IC court, where we spent, I think, about six years together. And I think also as one of the few uh, contributors to that forum with both a civil law and a common law degree, I think that's one of our commonalities there. So yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you. So thank you, Roger. Let's move on then to the beginning of our, our topic today and starting with, I mean, I think what we together have sort of discussed is the, uh, it's a long and well-known subject of, of arbitration about time and costs uh, and which has sometimes been identified as, a, as an Achilles heel, but we're going to uh, I think address that and see how the how the Dutch and in the Dutch environment this is being addressed. But perhaps I could open up to you on that subject. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. I think Achilles' heel, but uh, I think Andrew does also a degree of perception to it. So I would say, well, you know, is it really? I'm sort of of the school that you do uh, empirical research to the extent that you can before you take a position on this. And I think the not so popular answer is in these sort of fora that, you know, well, is there really a super big problem in terms of time and costs? I think it depends upon the forum. If you look at time, a first instance Dutch court proceeding tends to take just under two years. It gets you one round of written pleadings and an oral argument, basically an award still subject to appeal. I think by and large, uh, commercial arbitration is up to that challenge to meet that timeline. I would say in terms of cost, it's of course a different matter. Uh, much depends upon the forum that you're in, in particular whether or not you're going to be in a position to get a full cost award. So I do think you know we, we have to be alert to the frame and to the perception of arbitration being cost and time intensive. Uh, and things need to be done against uh, that, that perception. Certainly is a tone at the top at the ICC, I would think, uh, also during our stint where I think we've seen the uh, presidency of Alexi uh, focus very much on the the rigor of uh, time performance, also uh, you know, sanctioning arbitrators with costs and that being real sanctions and not just something to be debated and to happen once every so often. And we've, I think, seen the introduction of emergency arbitrations first and subsequently expedited arbitration. And I would say in respect of the latter that I think we all know that the, uh, 
these expedited proceedings were introduced after first having been rejected. The, the hope was that the uh, guidance on time and costs would solve the issue, but it hasn't. So I think that, that ultimately swayed the uh, ICC apparatus to introduce expedited arbitrations. Now, that is the ICC context. I think within the Dutch context, and I think we'll come to that, emergency arbitration has been around for well over 20 years. It's quite far-reaching, and there was never too much of a business case for expedited arbitration, given that the arbitrations were already reasonably expedited by international standards. So people were asking themselves, and still are asking themselves, what problem are we actually solving by introducing expedited arbitration? And does that imply that non-expedited arbitration is somewhat tardy on or not not speedy at all. And um, well, that's a bit of a debate that's, that's ongoing at the moment, I would say. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, I, and you touched on the differences between, you know, the common law traditions and the civil law traditions. And is this a problem, expedited arbitration, that, that is this an answer to a problem that doesn't exist? And I think that's a very perceptive remark, because certainly in my, in my time, having now spent sort of half my years in civil process and half my years in common law process in the courts as well as arbitration. The, the, the civil process is almost a sense of expedited process So when you come from those traditions, whereas in the common law process, the idea of summary judgment, striking out, and all those things are, are, are tools that are there um, to shorten the process, that uh, you know, presence of witnesses, the much more in, sometimes in-depth look at things that is done in, evidentially in a common law world that can be cut short, but perhaps isn't so necessary where you're coming from a civil tradition. But the reality is, is that we do now have emergency arbitral process and some institutions have adopted that more recently. The Dutch uh, have had the emergency arbitral process, you say, for 20 years. So this is a response, but it's a response, I think, that that was necessary because it's not possible to have emergency arbitral process because there's no tribunal initially. You need a a process to do this. And, but this, this, uh, is this where uh, the, the Dutch have stopped or have, have they been moving forward and doing, doing other things in, uh, in this area? Yeah, no, the Dutch have, have not stopped, uh, Andrew. They moved on. I think, for starters, I don't want to be on the record, of course, as someone saying that there is no case also in the Netherlands for expedited arbitration. I think there is. And we'll come to that, I think, because I spent quite a bit of time on, on drafting new NAI rules, Netherlands Arbitration Institute rules on uh, on expedited arbitration, but to come to the topic of emergency arbitration, is that a response? I don't think per se to the notion of time and cost um, uh, problems, but more to the concept of there being a need to uh, have a realistic option for a tribunal to step in and grant interim measures where cases really deserve and need it. And you know, looking at the work that was done by the task force on emergency arbitration at the ICC, uh, of which I was also part, I've come to learn and see confirmed that the Netherlands is a bit of an outlier there because we've had emergency arbitration since in a legislative form since 1986 and in the NIE rules since 1999. And these Dutch emergency proceedings are often referred to by a misnomer, namely summary proceedings. That can be quite far-reaching and also provide parties with uh, with orders for specific performance that can take the form of an award and include penal sums to uh, to guarantee um, compliance and uh, don't require you to start proceedings on a marriage per se. So that's quite a quite an alien thought to quite a few common lawyers that I come across in my practice. 
but still it's a it's a very interesting um, procedure around to offer you know concrete interim measures and it works in in uh, conjunction with a provision of the Dutch Arbitration Act that provides that if tribunals cannot or cannot timely provide parties with interim measures the state courts can adopt competence in these matters and step in and do it for them whereas if tribunals can or and can timely provide these measures they will not accept a jurisdiction and the case will be dealt with by the tribunals and that's that's currently quite a nuanced debate i've i've submitted an opinion to the amsterdam court uh, that was followed on the topic uh, where a very nuanced view was adopted with respect to the emergency arbitration proceedings at the icc as well that's uh, that's interesting and particularly the uh, the point you make that there's no need to then engage on the merits to in in the wake of an emergency uh, arbitral process in the dutch in the dutch for, in the dutch processing Certainly, I mean, it, it, I think, it, again, just drawing on both my common law and civil law experiences is that there's, there's differences in that area. But, uh, but uh, certainly in France, if you, if you go for a, an interim measure like that that's not final, then you, you, you're in trouble if you don't go into the merits pretty soon after, generally speaking. So common law, civil law. But uh, anyway, um, the emergency arbitral process is, uh, is, I think you're right, is a response not to time and cost, but more to a need for a, a solution. That unless you have that process embedded into the rules, um, it's not possible to do, and you have to go to the local courts best you can. So it, it's met a it's met a need that was there, uh, and the ICC and other institutions, of course, have, have followed. <laughs> and and where it perhaps wasn't so used sometimes, now it's increasingly used. But but let's let's talk about the next stage, which is if we're into the into the actual merits now of a claim in an arbitral process and, and the notion of fast-track proceedings and, you know, the, the, the situation in, in the arbitral world is that there is a division, if I can call it this, between those institutions that say you don't need any specific rules for this because you can always do that if you're the tribunal, you have all the powers necessary to do so, and there are others who have been in recent times enacting in their rules the specific ability for this to happen. Which camp are you in? Do you think uh, it needs a set of rules? Is it, do we need these set of rules to encourage arbitrators to do it? Or should we be, should we be leaving it to the, the tribunals ind- you know, individually to work out when it needs to be fast-tracked and the best way to fast-track it? And then we'll see what the Dutch are actually doing. <laughs> well, I, th- I, think, I think generally it's, it's required to have a set of rules for this sort of approach. Because I think, you know, if you look at it from, from a distance, arbitration moves from you know, a simple solution to a problematic court procedure in its origin, then becoming more complicated in its own right, and then people are trying to make it simpler again. It's a bit of a circle. But I think if you look at the uh, the situation of, of expedited proceedings on the merits, so fast-tracking proceedings on the merits, I think the, the better view is to, to say, yeah, that needs to be arranged for, but it needs to be done in a proper way. Because you get one shot, uh, everything is very compressed, so you don't. You better not get it wrong, otherwise you end up with a very fast decision that is that is just the wrong one or tampers, if not you know in the extreme sense, still substantively on due process issues, and thus uh, in terms of acceptance by the party uh, who just not prevail. So uh, it it's, it needs to deliver in a very fast way something that that typically takes time, even if it's compressed or everybody makes best efforts to to expedite. And if you want to do that, you need to, to provide for a careful, I think, framework 
that has its checks and balances and safeguards to make sure that the ultimate result is not a fast decision taken wrongly or at the expense of due process, but rather a fast decision taken properly that actually serves the needs of the business community rightly. And in order to do that, you need a framework. I've come to that view quite strongly given my work on, on draft rules for the Netherlands Arbitration Institute. If you think it through, all these steps, you come to the view, I came to the view that, that a clear framework is required. Also for a tribunal, I would add as a final point, to be in a position to actually manage those proceedings properly. Or as uh, I think one of your other guests, Poonam uh, Milwani QC said, to, to p- permit tribunals to act their powers in a robust manner, uh, to, to step in in the case management scene in a confident way. And that's where they need a framework. Uh, and a set of expectations with the parties to work on. And uh, that requires uh, a detailed default procedure, I would think. Yeah, that's interesting. And I mean, when, I mean, it's, you picked up on, you know, a theme that, you know, we hear often, which is about robust tribunals. And so the, the fast track proceedings is, is a way in which a robust tribunal can uh, apply that to the case without fear or fear of due process arguments being uh, thrown back at them so, so readily. I wonder if in the in the Dutch in the fast track sort of process, and then we'll turn to the Dutch approach. The fast track process also the sort of other tools that are available, you know, such as summary dismissal, summary judgment. These these you know faster than fast track. <laughs> and again, it's a subject that you know there are divisions around, and I think between the civil law and the common law. But again, the divisions are, are most clear in this area. Civil law, in many ways, is a quicker process uh, and the process around it, so it's not needed so much. But I'm wondering if, you know, for robust tribunals, where, where how you see that, you know, the in, in principle, the, you look at the ICC rules, the LCI rules, tribunals have full power to do all these things. And uh, in the ICC rules, of course, they've now introduced uh, specific provisions for these, and, uh, but they were there before if you'd wanted to use them. And is that, are those tools that should be deployed or, or should we just stop at fast track and not push it much harder than that? No, I, I do think very strongly that tribunals uh, should be acting robustly where, where, they, where they can and should. I'm not uh, of the view that you should give into the due process paranoia kind of thing. Yet, uh, I, I'm also strongly of the view that you have to be robust within a framework and not just uh, be sort of dictatorial and move around and trample on people's rights. So yes, robust, but against the framework. Now, if you look at the Dutch approach, I think it's it's key to uh, to bear in mind that, that there's actually a division between these Dutch-style, if I put it correctly, emergency arbitrations, also referred to as summary proceedings. Summary being a word that means many things to many people in many jurisdictions. So let's avoid that word summary and, and refer to Dutch emergency uh, proceedings. Well, those have been around, as I, as I noted, since um, the end of the 90s, uh, modeled on state uh, court proceedings and have, involved, uh, have evolved into proceedings that uh, are quite readily available. Uh, the Dutch standard for urgency is a fairly low one. They're not too worried about complexity. There's indeed, as you were capturing, uh, Andrew, no need to start proceedings on the merits. Sometimes there is a need, given that you want to have the case treated in more detail, or um, some measures such as declaratory judgments are not available in these uh, emergency proceedings. But there's no need to the extent that you 
have a measure or be it an award awards or an order in emergency proceedings that only has a temporal effect it hasn't it has a definitive effect uh, it doesn't require you to start proceedings on the merits you can do without so that is quite uh, quite an outlier in the international scene but can be very very forceful and uh, I've, I've done quite a bit of empirical research and published on the topic as well now the second um, procedure would be emergency arbitration uh, or sort of expedited arbitration in the Netherlands, so not emergency, but expedited arbitration, that is a proceedings on the merits. That wasn't around in the, let's say, the commercial arbitration scene in the Netherlands. It was around in the construction uh, boards, which is a separate arbitration uh, regime, so to speak. But it will be introduced at the Netherlands Arbitration Institute later this uh, this calendar year, 2022. The aim is to, uh, to prevent, let's say, state-of-the-art proceedings to be an intelligent follower, because in this area, the Netherlands Arbitration Institute would not be the first mover, of course. We all know that uh, all but a few of the um, prominent institutions have these rules in place. Uh, what the Dutch are going to do is to indeed uh, make sure that during the various stages of these proceedings, due process is guaranteed. Tribunals have strong and robust powers to step in and to bring up with the parties that these proceedings may no longer be suited for an expedited time frame. May, may have the power to insist on a hearing in person or pass the hearing in person if it's required to have a proper hearing within the sense of Article 6 of the European Convention of Human Rights. Um, and uh, get powers to balance the taking of evidence by reference to, for example, now notably the applicable law, the background of the parties and the circumstances of the case. So to be concrete, if you were to have these proceedings between two common law parties, uh, there might be more scope and, and more expectation to have more extensive taking of evidence, even within the framework of expedited arbitration, than you would have between two continental European parties. And I think the readers and public will know that this is sort of the balance that you're trying to find between, on the one hand, the common law tradition, the IBA rules on the taking of evidence, and... Uh, the Prague rules uh, that have also been um, launched that are also trying to aim for, for a different sort of balance. Uh, the Netherlands Arbitration Institute is not following either of the three. It's trying to equip the tribunal to engage with the parties to find the right balance that suits the uh, circumstances of the case. And the aim is to get, uh, get to a final decision within five months. That's the aim. The deadline would be six months subject to party agreement uh, for the tribunal to obtain on an extension. But if the parties don't agree, the NIE, the Netherlands Arbitration Institute, may still grant a bit more extra time in exceptional circumstances. So it pushes the parties and the tribunal on a, let's say, a, a time-sensitive time path to get a res resolution at the right time, but also has this uh, sort of safety bar in place to provide for the situation where the parties may wish something to be super fast, Yet uh, quality or, or the circumstance of the particular case may warrant a little bit more extra time to, to do it properly, given that it is a final decision that cannot be appealed and that in principle uh, resolves the case definitively. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, here's a question uh, for you. I, I'm sort of learning about the Dutch emergency arbitral process as we speak, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether where you have such a a far-reaching emergency arbitral process, how, how much take-up you'll have for a fast-track process, because if you can deal with it in a, 
in an emergency arbitral process, would that not generally be preferable? If the urgency requirement is low, as you say, and you get a, a definitive finding and everything. So where's the balance going to be in the Dutch world, if you like, between the emergency arbitral process and the new... Because these fast-track proceedings is, is something relatively recent, isn't it? Yeah, yeah fast-track proceedings are, are indeed recent and are going to be introduced uh, towards the end of this calendar year. Uh, and the question is, indeed, going to be how does that sit with, with these Dutch emergency proceedings? I think for starters, these Dutch emergency proceedings are really only open if the place of arbitration, the seat, is in the Netherlands. Uh, given that they interact with the Dutch Arbitration Act uh, by giving a legislative basis for the outcome to be treated as an award that is enforceable. I think the key limits to these uh, Dutch emergency proceedings are really that they don't provide for an extensive uh, written debate. So you can't deal with the case on the merits in full. Also for that reason, a tribunal on the merits is not bound to the outcome thereof. So it may actually trump whatever the emergency arbitrator does. And the emergency arbitrators are not empowered to give declaratory uh, decisions and shouldn't really go into the area of very complex damages findings. So there are limits to what you can do. And given those limits, there is still a need to provide for expedited or at least fast-running proceedings on the merits. So where I see the uh, one of the unique selling points is the combination of the two. Have the emergency procedure in place where you need to put out the fire or get someone to perform what he has agreed to perform, for example, on a critical time path in a complicated supply chain uh, that companies have in place. You do need someone to, to deliver the battery to make the television work uh, in time to be put in the shops for the Christmas sale. You can't be hijacked there, so you could get a awards or an order to, to, uh, to force the battery supplier to deliver the goods in time on pain of penal sums, yet in order to actually fight the case on the merits to get your proper damages awarded and to, 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 to look at the liabilities in more detailed fashion, you could combine that with expedited proceedings that that will follow these uh, emergency proceedings. So that's that's how I see um, how I see a very interesting proposition, even within the international uh, arbitration arena. And let's have a look at how that pans out, because it's an interesting uh jurisdiction to try out these approaches and to see how, it's, um, how it works and it doesn't work. So it might lead to intelligent following from non-Dutch jurisdictions and uh, perhaps even the, uh, the grand lady of the ICC uh, nearby your offices, uh, Andrew. Well, you've made a, you've made a powerful case, uh, Roger, for the, for the launch and we shall have to have another chat in a year's time or two and see how it's going uh, when the, uh, the, the new rules are all in place. But we're, as ever, limited, I'm afraid, in time in all these things. But let's, let's, let me, I, I'm going to embarrass you entirely now and just ask you a completely dis disconnected question. And I, um, the, the, this morning, uh, we, we both were sort of busy work schedules and everything and juggling everything. And um, I'm just wondering what, what you do when you don't, when you don't work. What's, uh, what do you do to take your mind off arbitration and the practice of law? Well, that's a, that's a question of conscience, uh, Andrew, because now I have to confess that I'm even thinking about arbitration whilst playing with the kids. That's that's not true, of course. Uh, but no, I'm I'm still an active sailor and uh, rower. So I used to be president of the uh, Royal Amsterdam Rowing and Sailing Club for about six years, and that eats up a lot of time uh, that you would otherwise be devoted to arbitration. So I'm still quite active in sports. I uh, really enjoy uh, cooking as well. 
uh, and in particular, I'm a social beast, so I, I can't stop myself from uh, engaging with friends and family um, whenever I get a chance. Well, the maritime theme is very appropriate for, for Holland. Well, look, that's, that's fantastic. Look, thank you. Thank you very much. For, and you've, you've made the trouble to come here physically to our offices for this, which is much appreciated. It's nice in the post-COVID world to now see people. And uh, I, I thank you very much and look forward to the, the next chance we may have to speak. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Andrew. Cheers. Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email arbitralinsights at reedsmith.com. To learn about the Reed Smith Arbitration Pricing Calculator, a first-of-its-kind mobile app that forecasts the cost of arbitration around the world, search Arbitration Pricing Calculator on reedsmith.com or download for free through the Apple and Google Play app stores. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at Reedsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.